for Children's Church uh, as uh, you guys go and learn uh, on your level. It's a great blessing to be able to have that ministry back going here at Calvary. Thank you to all those who are involved in that ministry. Um, just uh, uh, also want to let you know, um, well, I thought it was in here. Um, we've been receiving goodies uh, to help restock the kitchen and other kinds of things. Thank you to all of you who have been helping out uh, with that. If you would like um, to know what you can um, give to help make that possible, you can speak to Barb. I think we have a list available for you if you want it. Um, and also uh, on the back next to the offering box, there is the uh, little church box there for uh, your help to uh, supply the flowers. They've already been supplied, but if you want to help with that, um, you can drop something in that box um, and it will go straight to the, the purchase of those flowers. So thank you for that as well. By the way, it's nice to, by the way, it's nice to have Jason and Marita with us this morning. Uh, and if you look down here, you, you won't be able to wipe the smile off Paul or Martha's face because they're here with their new grandbaby, granddaughter, right? What's her name? Sylvia. Sylvia. All right, so praise the Lord for safe delivery. We were praying for Marita in that. Um, and can we tell the other one? All right. Um, Paul shared with us yesterday that there's another grandbaby coming. Okay, uh, his daughter is going to have their third grandchild, and so they're going to have to make a trip to Virginia later on in the year when that happens. Um, and you know, grandbabies are the best. And all you have to do is look at his face, because you know, no matter what you say, you're not going to get rid of that smile. Okay, um, and so we're thankful to be able to have you guys worship with us this morning as well. Right. All right, very good. And uh, he's, he's borrowing from his kids to fill that quiver, so that's all right. All right, very good. Nice. Uh, thank you, Paul. Uh, continue to pray for Paul. You're doing better, right? I am slowly doing better, and hopefully I'll be able to get back in the chair again soon. Okay. We're still banning popcorn, you know. It's not, not available to have that there in that chair. So. All right, very good. Take your copy of the scriptures, if you will, and open them to 1 Peter. We're in 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to continue our study through this amazing book. Peter has been uh, very practical for us uh, in our study here. And, and you know, it's so amazing that this was written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago and how relevant it is for us today in the church in 2022. Um, you know, that's God. There's no other book that was written so many years ago that is as relevant today as the scriptures are for, for God's people. And so uh, we've been enjoying our study together in First Peter. We're getting close to the end of Peter's communication of hope and love to his readers. He has covered many, many things. We've said they're practical things that the followers of Jesus need to work through and need to strive to implement into their lives. But these words, they're not just for the recipients of Peter's letters. You know, it's not like we treat it as some piece of history that doesn't have any 
any relevance for us today. It's very important for us today to read and to apply the things that we learn from the Apostle Peter. These instructions, if you will, are for those of us today who live and have a desire to serve the Lord and to honor Him with the way we do life. Now, until Jesus comes and takes His bride home to be with Him for all of eternity, we are to be implementing the things that we find in the pages of Scripture as we study and learn from God's Word. So let's quickly review just a few of the things that we've learned from the pen of the Apostle Peter so far. Peter opened his letter with what we called the glorious truth of election. Now, if you can cast your mind back way long ago when we had that first message from the book of 1 Peter, we talked about this idea of election. Now, some people will say, well, you don't believe in that, do you? Well, the Bible teaches it. So if the Bible teaches it, what do we do? We believe it. We accept it as truth and we we impact it into our own lives and let that make a difference in the way we live life. So he's talking about this idea of election. And we said on that first week when we studied that, we said it's a good thing that God did choose some because if he didn't choose some, then none would come. You know, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. There's nobody seeking after God. Okay, The Bible says that. There's none that seeketh after God, no, not one. So if there's none seeking, none would come unless God began to work in your heart and draw you to himself. Um, so it's very clear that it's important that the scriptures talk about election. We believe it. We put it into practice. Can I tell you this? You and I, we did not choose God. Scripture is very clear that we inherited the sin of Adam and Eve. And because of that sin, we were separated from God. And then God chose us, and not because of anything special about us, not because he knew that we would be this and that and and all of that. He, He didn't choose us out of any merit of ourselves. He simply chose us in his grace and in his mercy, and he called us to himself. None of us would be followers of Jesus If Jesus didn't call us, if God didn't call us in eternity past, none of us were born followers of Jesus. We were all doing our own things, seeking after our own ways, and looking out for for number one, for me. That's the way we were before God broke into our world and called us to be part of his family. We were all born in sin. Paul quotes the psalmist when he writes, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is not one righteous individual as far as God's definition of righteousness. The quote comes from Psalm 14, verses 1 through 3, where he says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable things. There's none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Wow. Now, we might have not agreed with that for a period of time in our life. In fact, we might have said, hey, we're pretty good people, we Americans, you know, we, we love God and we love religion and we love, but you know what? We're not there anymore. It's, it's easier for us, I think, today to understand how bad people are when we look around our world and we see what's going on and we ask ourselves the question, why? Why do people act like that? And it's important for us not to get so blinded by our Christianity that we forget that the world is 
on its way to hell. And, and we need to be the, the light that shines in the darkness. And, and if it's possible, today in the darkness we find ourselves in, it's so easy to see the darkness, we need to shine even brighter. And how do we shine brightly? By reflecting the word of God, by reflecting our Savior Jesus Christ. So Peter wants us to understand that God chose from among condemned sinners some to be the recipients of his great grace. Peter continued in chapter 1 thinking about our great salvation. Aren't you glad that he chose us to salvation? He chose us to be born again. He chose us to be part of his family. It's so great that Peter tells us the prophets of God in the Old Testament, the angels of heaven even, have longed to peer into, to look into this thing of salvation. They can't understand it. They can't wrap their minds around this amazing plan that God had to redeem lost mankind. It would have been so interesting to be in heaven and watch the angels when Jesus came down and was born of a virgin Mary and wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. The angels didn't get it. They didn't understand. Oh, yes, they praised God, but they do what they're told because they're angels. God said, praise him. Uh, you know, Go to the shepherds, announce this. And multitudes of angels, heavenly hosts, saying glory to God, praises to God because Jesus took on flesh. But in their heads, they're like, why? why? Why would he do that? He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He's the giver of life. He's the, he's the son of God. Why would he go to earth and do that? It doesn't make sense. The, the prophets, they spoke about it in the Old Testament, but they didn't get it. They didn't understand it. They didn't know it. They longed to understand what God was talking about. And, and this great salvation, it's so amazing. It boggles our minds sometimes. And in the end, we simply say, thank you, God, for saving my soul. I don't deserve it. I know that, I understand that, but I am so grateful for your gift of salvation. There's so much in that first chapter of Peter. In verses 13 through 16, he calls the followers of Jesus to be holy. Why? Because God is holy. He says, be holy for I am holy. Quotes that from Leviticus in the Old Testament. The next part of the chapter focuses our attention on the fact that our God is an awesome God. His awesomeness is seen in that we pray to him. He not only hears our prayers, but he provided for our redemption. That's all in chapter 1 of 1 Peter. He, he is an awesome God for giving to us this amazing salvation that we don't deserve. Sometimes we don't understand it, but boy, are we cer certainly grateful for it. Nothing else could redeem lost mankind. You know that, right? There's no work that you could do. There's no place that you could go. There's nothing else in the, in the world system, in the, in the realm of theology that could save lost mankind except for the precious blood of the spotless lamb of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's how amazing our redemption is. And he finishes off this chapter by telling us how great the word of God is. So he goes from how great the living word, Jesus, is to how great the written word is. And can I tell you, I'm grateful that we have a copy of the scriptures to hold in our hands, to read and to study and to learn from and to apply to our lives. Everything you and I need for faith and practice, everything you and I need to become holier day after day after day is found right here in the pages of Scripture. And I'm so glad that God has preserved for us 
Supernaturally, he has preserved for us his word so that we hold in our hands a reliable copy, a a copy that God has ordained for us to live by. Now, I'll tell you, I'll agree with you right now that this that I hold in my hand, it's not necessarily the inspired word of God. That was reserved for the manuscripts, the the things that Peter wrote, that Paul wrote, that Moses wrote, that came from their pens. That was inspired. There were no mistakes. There were no typos. There were no spelling errors in the original writings of these men of God, these holy men of God that were born along by the Spirit of God and brought to a place to write for us Scripture. No mistakes in that. I tell you, I've, I've bought Bibles where there's parts of Genesis in, in the Gospels because when they bound it together, somebody put it in the wrong spot. We got free Bibles at Baptist Bible College our freshman year because they had a map index in the back, but they forgot to put the maps in it. Those are mistakes. Those are errors. Barb's dad, whenever he gets the new Bible, he, he takes a piece of paper and as he reads through it, he, he writes down the errors that he has found, the typographical errors, the page number errors, those kinds of things that are there. And sometimes, depending on the translation, you actually find doctrinal error in what people call the Bible. Now, generally speaking, not from, the, from good translations that God has uh, burden people to come up with but there's bible translations out there that are bad just not worth your time when we when we barb had a ministry uh with um elementary age kids in south africa she was one of the speakers that would get together for these big assemblies that they would have and she could speak on whatever she wanted and they said hey we're gonna buy we've been given money to buy bibles for the students and we think we're gonna buy the the good news for modern man well, this pastor had something to say about that. I wrote to the lady and I said, hey, listen, please don't buy that. Please, that's, that's not a good translation. You need to, and so I gave them alternatives because there are good translations for kids that they can understand at their level that is, that is communicating to them the truth of God's word. But sometimes people get in their hands bad translations. And, and, and I love to go, uh, I guess my favorite place now is not so much to go to the Christian bookstores, but to go to Ollie's. And walk up and down the aisle as people are looking for Bibles. I don't work at Ollie's, but I'm happy to give information to people as they're looking for Bibles. And I say, hey, you looking for a Bible? Well, yeah, as a matter of fact, I am. I said, well, what are you looking for? Well, I'm looking for, uh, you know, I can help you if you want. And I steer them away from some of those questionable translations. And I say, you know, here's a really good one. You, you could pick, take this, you could take it home with you, and you could read it, and you could learn from it. What do you do? I said, oh, I'm a pastor. Oh, you're, that's why you're weird. Yeah, well, okay. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but you see, I want people to have in their hands good translations of God's word. Don't waste, if you're gonna buy a Bible, don't waste your money on bad translations. And if you need help with that, I'm happy to help you. If I'm happy to help strangers and ollies, I'm happy to help my church family. Come up with a good translation that will help them live for the Lord Jesus Christ. All that in chapter one. I wonder if it's taken us so long to get through the book of 1 Peter. Chapter 2, Peter goes on and he unfolds the, the, the ideas of focusing on the Word of God, not just the blessing of the Word of God, but you and I need to focus on living out the Word of God and living for the living Word, who is Jesus Christ. We learn that Jesus is the chief cornerstone, and we, like him, are also stones. 
We are stones in the building that God is making that he's calling the church. Each one of us that know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior are part of the church. And by the church there, I mean the greater church, the universal church, the church that has been in existence from the day of Pentecost and will continue to exist until the rapture, until Jesus comes, catches his bride up to heaven, and takes us home to be in heaven with him for all of eternity. Can I get an amen for that? You see, you and I, we are longing for that day. Paul calls it in Titus, our blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We're looking and waiting for that day when he takes us home to be with him. That's because we are living stones. And can I tell you that God's not done with his church yet? Because if he were done with the church, we wouldn't be here any longer. We'd be home, we'd be in his presence. So don't listen to people who say, well, the church church has run its course. Let God be the judge of that. When God says the church has run its course, God the Father will say to the Son, hey Jesus, today's your wedding day, go get your bride. And in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trump, the trump will sound, the dead in Christ will raise first, and those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up in the air, and so, will we, so shall we be with the Lord forevermore. Woo, that gets me excited. I hope it gets you excited as well. Well, that's the first part of chapter two. Uh, The reminder that we are part of the stones that make up the church of Jesus Christ. Peter tells us uh, that we are pilgrims and strangers in this world. And he calls us to live like the citizens of heaven, which is our homeland. And living this way brings glory to our great God and to our King. For the next several chapters, from the middle of chapter 2 to the end of chapter 4, Peter reminds us that we are to submit to various entities, okay? Now, I was talking to some pastors last night, and um, I said, you know, it's interesting when you talk about submission and you talk about suffering. Um, No offense to you guys, but you can kind of just see, as you talk about that stuff, people are like, "Hmm, really? We have to suffer? And you want us to submit to who? To what? Why? Well, Peter deals with all of that stuff from from chapter 2 all the way to chapter 4. We are called to submit and submit even when we're suffering. In fact, we may suffer at the hands of those that we are called to submit to. Who likes that? Nobody. Okay? But the key here is that Peter reminds us when we submit to those that we are not necessarily submitting to them, but when reality we are submitting to who? We're submitting to God. Now, remember this, and Peter never tells us to submit to those when they call us to sin, okay? If somebody comes to you and says, hey, I want you to stop going to church, you don't pay attention, you don't do that. You continue to faithfully serve. You continue to faithfully grow. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. And that doesn't matter what the reason is, whether it's the government telling you not to or uh, somebody else telling you not to. You don't stop forsake. You don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You continue to gather. Why? Because it's good for us. You know, we've, we've used that verse in Hebrews 10, 25 many times. But the reason that Paul says to gather together is he goes on, he says, because by your gathering together, you are encouraging others that gather. I try to encourage people and tell them, when you're not here, you are missed. And it's not because your, your seat is empty. Now, let's look around. Everybody pretty much sits in the same seats, right? That's just because that's the way we are, okay? And when your seat is missing, when your seat is empty, you are missed, 
And when you're not here, you're not encouraging your brothers and sisters in Christ to fellowship and to grow in their walk. Do you understand that? Every time you come to church, it doesn't matter if it's Sunday morning, Sunday night, uh, a ladies' meeting, a men's meeting, when you are here, you are encouraging others by your attendance. And it's not just a numbers game. We're not even keeping track of what the numbers are. You ask me how many people were here last week, I can't tell you. I can tell you if you were missing, because I, I miss you and I pray for you, but if, I can't tell you that there were 75 people here last Sunday or there were 45 people. I can't tell you that number. I don't, really, I don't really care about that number. I care about you. And when you're not here, you're missing out on the opportunity to be involved in ministry and to be ministered to. And it's important for you to enjoy those, both of those opportunities in your life. Peter wants us to submit and wants us to be faithful and he wants us to grow in our walk with the Lord. He commands us to submit. In some ways, we can say that Peter has covered it all in, from, from the middle of chapter 2 to the beginning of chapter 5. He's covered everything that you and I need to submit to as the followers of Jesus Christ. And last week, lest we think that Peter left a particular group out, he even called pastors to the, to the table and he says, hey, listen, this is why you serve. This is how you serve. This is what you are supposed to do. This is how you are supposed to care for the sheep that I have entrusted to you as the under-shepherd of this congregation. So Peter didn't forget anybody. He didn't leave anybody out. He covered all of the bases, if you will. And that's where we pick up our study this morning in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 7. Would you stand together with me and we'll read together just a few verses. Chapter 5, verses 5 through 7 of 1 Peter. Read together with me, if you will. Peter says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. And be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and we thank you again for the Apostle Peter Uh, Father, we often identify with this great man of God, uh, a man who often spoke uh, before really thinking. Uh, We say that Peter was the kind of guy who needed to make sure his brain was in gear before engaging his mouth. And you know what? Many of us can identify with that. Sometimes we don't think biblically. We don't think through your desire for us as we speak. We just speak. And, and, And Peter reminds us that that's important to Think and pray and and consider what we say and make sure that it honors our great God, honors you as we pray to you this morning. Father, we thank you for the reminder from the Apostle Peter of how to live life, how to live according to the purpose of your will, your plan for each one of us as your children. Father, this morning we are going to look at this call to humility and we ask that you would use it to impact our lives as we move forward from this day on that we would find ourselves as humble individuals choosing humility to honor you with the way we live life. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Now, you may be seated. Thank you for reading with me and standing together. 
Now, like I said last week, because Peter addresses pastors, don't tune me out if you're not a pastor. And as we say on Mother's Day, if we're preaching a message to mothers, don't tune me out because you're not a mother. Uh, Likewise, you younger people, don't tune me out because you don't think you're a younger person. Uh, Don't tune me out because you think I'm too old for that. Peter is talking to all of us here in our our setting this morning when he says younger people, elder people, uh, because then he wraps it all up and he says to one another, okay? But as he brings his letter to a close, he wants to leave his readers with probably what he considers to be the most important challenges throughout the book, okay? He's going to kind of summarize what he's talked about already, and he's going he's gonna to bring it close to home for us. And you know how when you, uh, when you read a book, usually the, what's important is kind of at the end. It's kind of giving you the summary thoughts and the most important things that you can take home with you. That's where we are in our study of First Peter. Peter wants the last thing that his readers read to be that which lingers in their minds, lingers in their thoughts, and makes a difference for them as they live life. Okay, so first of all, Peter has in in the first part of verse five, a request. Peter has a request for us. And as he brings this letter to a close, he returns to a familiar theme. Now you might say, pastor, a couple weeks ago, you told me we were done with this submissive stuff. Well, we were for that point of the book, but now we're back at it again, okay? Peter thought it was important under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to again remind us that it is important for us to submit. It's that nagging theme of submission. It's that theme that most of us don't want to be reminded that that's what we're supposed to do because we don't like doing it, okay? Uh, But first of all, I want you to understand the nature of the command. Peter says, young people, submit yourselves to your elders, Younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Now, I'm not going to ask you for your opinions on what that means. I'm simply going to tell you what it means, okay? Uh, The wording here is a bit of a challenge to the readers. Peter uses the word neos for the idea of the younger, okay? Now, it doesn't necessarily mean younger by age. It means new in relation to time that which was recently come into existence or become present, okay? So that which is new in relation to time, that which has recently come into existence or become present. The challenge is this. Peter is talking to those that are young in age. He's young in age spiritually. He's not talking about a five-year-old or a 10-year-old. He's talking about those who are new to the faith. They've come into existence as a child of God recently, okay? Now, AARP defines those who are 55 and older as older, as the elder, as the mature, as the senior people, okay? Other places require you to be 60 if they want you to give you a senior discount. Um, Peter is not talking about that, but he is talking about how long an individual has been saved. And can I add to that this idea? Maybe not necessarily how long a person has been saved, but whether or not a person has been growing since they've been saved. Sometimes people get saved and they don't get into a place where they learn and, and hear and grow and mature in their faith. Uh, you know, we were, obviously we were missionaries in South Africa, Right? So you would think that our prayer letters would be full of leading people to Christ. Well, South Africa has a rich Christian heritage. 
the likes of Andrew Murray, okay? Have you ever read Andrew Murray? Great gospel, great writer uh, on commentaries and things like that. He's from, he's from South Africa. He's, he's in heaven now. But we actually, were, we've been to his church there that, he, that was built while he was the pastor. Uh, it's, it's quite a, in fact, unfortunately, they don't even use it anymore as a church. It's now kind of like a museum. It's a tourist place, okay? But you see, South Africa has a Christian heritage, kind of like America does. But you know what? We had people that would come into our church and they would sit for a message and they would, they would as they were leaving, man, we've never heard preaching like that. We've never heard teaching like that. Uh, we don't get that kind of teaching where we used to go to church. So we had a church, we had a couple, Mike and Yvonne, great, uh, an older couple, loved the Lord. They came to our church uh, because they moved into the area, new into the area. And their, their daughter lived in the area and she kept the, we handed out things, put them in the mailboxes because you could do that. Put things in the post boxes over there. You could do that. It was legal. And she saved that because she knew her parents were moving into the area. So when they moved in, they, she said, hey, hey, dad, we, we got this in our post box. We saved it for you because we know you like to go to church. So maybe you want to go to this church. So they came uh, and we did, we did a marriage thing over there. It was called um, Marriage Without Regrets. It's a precept study, very good study. And they came, they had been married for like 40 years, and they came to this study. And after the first couple of studies, Mike and Yvonne came up to me, and they said, Pastor, we've been involved in the church for 25, 30 years. We've taught Sunday school, we've been involved in so many different areas of ministry, but we've never heard this stuff before. You preach stuff to us that we've never heard. Why is that? I said, Mike, Yvonne, our, our goal, our purpose is to preach the whole counsel of God's word. I can't tell you why the other churches that you've been a part of don't do that or haven't done that, but that's what you're going to get at this church. And they, like, we're in. We're in this. We're, we're, we want to become members. We want to be, learn. We want to sit under the teaching of this ministry. We want to be here. And they were. And I think Mike's now gone home to be with the Lord. I'm not sure about Yvonne. But, but what a blessing they were to our church family because they wanted to learn. And then they, as they began to learn, they began being involved in ministries. She did ladies' crafts things. She got, got groups together. She was a great prayer warrior. Uh, in fact, she'd rebuke me from time to time. Pastor, you know, you asked us to pray for such and such uh, six months ago, and you haven't told us what's going on there. Oh, you're right. And I, you know what? I got, a report, I got an update on that. So let me update you. Let me tell you what's going on. Uh, what a blessing it was for uh, her to kind of lead our ladies in those things. And, and, and you know, that's, that's what's important, my friends, is that we, we grow in our walk with the Lord. Sometimes people have been saved for years and years and years and years and years, but they've not sat under sound teaching. And so they haven't grown Peter's talking to those kinds of people, those kinds of people who are immature in their faith. And that's not a slight on anybody. It's just simply, this is where we are. Sometimes people don't grow. Um, As you can imagine, commentators on this passage of Scripture, they're not much help, okay? You know when you find a difficult passage of Scripture and you think, oh, I'm gonna go buy this commentary because this guy is really sound, pastor talks about him a lot, uh, and, and maybe they'll have some good information on me on this text because it's a difficult text to understand. Unfortunately, commentators don't usually deal with the difficult texts. 
They really just quote the verse and move on to the next, hoping that it's going to be easier. Right, Ben? You agree with that? He's shaking his head. Yeah, because they don't want to, they don't want to prohibit people from following them or buying their books or whatever. But you see, as a pastor, I don't have that opportunity. I don't have that option. I preach the text. That's why I love to preach expositorily. I, I, there was a comment made in the pastor's forum uh, that, I, that I'm part of, and um, somebody said, hey, I'm, I'm preaching through this, and somebody came up to me and said, hey, you, you preach this message to me. Well, if you're preaching expositorily, you can't hone in on one individual. It's what the text says. You know, if the text says it and, it and it hits you square between the eyes, that's from God. It's not from me. It's just what God is dealing with in your life. And praise, you know what? You should say, praise God. Thank you, Lord, for helping this particular message to be aimed at me, so you think. We don't, I, I, I don't aim messages at people. It's not, my, it's not my plan. I don't sit in, my, in, my, in front of my computer as I'm, I'm preparing a message on Sunday, for Sunday morning and think, hmm, I wonder who I can hit with this. Maybe, yeah, I think, uh, no. It's the text. And, and that's the blessing. And so I tell people, I say, you know, when I'm preaching, when I preach expositorily, number one, it's the easiest way to preach. Okay? I, I don't have to sit down and figure for the next... Uh, well, for the next year, I'm going to preach. It's, it's the text. And when the text comes to an end, the text comes to an end. That's when we start something new. Okay, so pretty soon we're going to start something different from First Peter. All right? Um, but, but the text is what dictates what we preach. And so we have to stick with the text. So Peter is helping us understand. Listen, we want to grow in our faith. And he's writing to those who are not so mature in their faith. They're, he's writing to those... Now, Peter, when he's writing, the church has been around for a couple of decades now, probably about 30 years when Peter writes this book. So there are some people who have been saved, who have been followers of Jesus Christ for decades now. So he's saying, those of you that are young in the faith, listen to those who are older in the faith. Take heed, pay attention. God has placed them in your life for a reason. As I think back of, over my life, it's actually kind of scary how long I've been saved. Whew. I'm almost a senior citizen. Now that means, Pastor, you must have been saved when you were a baby. Well, we don't believe in baby infant salvation. But anyway, I was young when I got saved. And, and was I growing the whole time? Well, I was in a good church. And I had the opportunity to be taught by individuals who loved God. Just like our young people here today have the opportunity to be taught by people who love God and, and to listen to those who are older in the faith and more mature and grow from that. So yeah, I've been growing, but I was, I was actually, if I can tell you, never really discipled by anyone until I got to like Bible college. That's why we try to take individuals through a discipleship program. We try to help them understand the pages of Scripture. We, we want them to know what God's Word says, not from my opinion, but from what God's Word says. That's why we grow. When, when God calls us to, be, to make disciples, He doesn't call us to make disciples of Calvary Baptist Church or of Pastor Mowers. He calls us to make disciples of who? Of Jesus Christ. Followers of Christ. So, for 30 years, there have been followers of Christ as Peter writes this, long enough for there to be spiritually mature folks in the church. Now, I'm not saying that churches that are reading Peter's letters 
that these particular churches have been around for 30 years, but you know what? I'll bet you, and I probably shouldn't say that, but anyway, I, I would think that there were probably people at Pentecost that are in the churches that Peter is writing to. Because that's how those churches got started. People were at Pentecost. They heard the truth. They heard the gospel. They heard um, the, the presentation of the word of God in their own language. Bible says they got saved and then the, the persecution came and they spread out. They were scattered. You understand that the early church, they were pretty content to be in Jerusalem. And they stayed there until they couldn't stay there any longer, until God sent persecution, suffering on the church in Jerusalem that caused them to be scattered abroad, lots of different places. So as they went to different places, you know what they did? They started telling others about Jesus. They started sharing the gospel. They started communicating faith and love to other people, and people started getting saved, and churches sprung up. And then you get guys like Paul and Barnabas and, and Stephen and Philip who are going around, and the rest of the apostles spreading the faith of Jesus Christ, the good news of salvation to everywhere they went. And there's churches now all over the place because of faithful witnesses. When you and I share the gospel of Jesus Christ, we had, we had a guy that came to visit in Cape Town. He was from several hours away. Hendrick was his name. Um, and, and he got saved while he was in our church. And uh, he said, Pastor, I want to get baptized. I said, well, Hendrick, you're not, you don't live in the area. I mean, why don't you go back and get baptized in a church where you're going to be living. Oh, pastor, he says, I know the area I live in. He says, there aren't any churches like this. And so I started making some phone calls, and guess what? He was right. There weren't any churches like Grace Baptist Church in his area. And so I said, well, Hendrick, I said, if you want to get baptized, I said, we need to, we need to have some classes together. So we went through some discipleship classes. We went through the, under, so he would understand what baptism was all about. And he said, pastor, he said, I want to go back a new Hendrick. I want to go back so I can share the gospel with other people and they can get saved too. And maybe we'll have a church there someday. Oh, pastor who thinks everybody get baptized should be a member of the church. And that's the norm. That's generally the way it, it happens. But you know what? Philip baptized the Ethiopian eunuch. He didn't go back to Jerusalem and go to church in, in, in Jerusalem. He went to Ethiopia and he started a church. He shared his faith and people got saved and, and so there, there was a church in Ethiopia. Wow. That's what it's about, my friends, sharing the faith and seeing other people come to know Jesus as their Savior. And when you get baptized, you're identifying with who Christ is and how, how you want to submit your life to his and follow his plan for your life. It's the first step in obedience for the child of God. And it's usually a big step. And so as we work with individuals here, pray for them as they're considering baptism. It's a big step, and sometimes it's a daunting thing. So as we work through those things, um, help us pray, pray with us that these individuals will say, see the need and say, yes, I really want to do that. But you see, we want to grow in our faith. We don't want to stay where we are. Even as a pastor, I want to continue to grow in my understanding of Scripture, I don't want to be with, content with where I am now. And five years from now, I hope I know a lot more about the Word of God than I do today because I've been studying the Word of God and putting it into practice in my life. I hope as I look back, well, I, I'll tell you this. You know, I, I, I don't know that I've kept every single sermon that I've ever preached, but I've kept most of them. Computers make that easy now. Um, but I have boxes of sermons at home. And I'll, I'll pull one out of the file every now and then. I'll look at it and say, who preached that? 
did I really preach that? And so if you get what I call a recycled sermon, it's almost new. Because I look at it and I say, uh, not that there was any doctrinal error in it, but just, nah. That's... And you're a different congregation. You, you need to hear what God wants you to hear today, not what I preached 10 years ago at some other church. So we all ought to be growing in our walk with the Lord. We should never become content with where we are. Now, as the church gets older, uh, we, we will have people growing and growing and learning more and, and, and being faithful in, the, in their service to God and understanding what God's word says. Now, God has allowed me to pastor in a couple of different churches and there were certainly men who were older than me, just like there are here. And I'm not picking on anybody, but there are men here in this congregation that are older than I am. They have less hair than I have. Um, they have more aches and pains, more creaks and cracks when they wake up in the morning. There are definitely people in this church that are older older than me. So they might say, well, pastor, if they're older than you, do they have to listen to you? What do they learn from you? Well, as I study God's word, I trust that they're learning not from me, but they're learning from the word of God. There's been, there, there are men here that are, have been longer in the faith than I have. But you see, just because a person has been saved longer doesn't mean that they can't learn from one another. And I thank, thank God for the men in this church who have taught me things. Help me learn things as we talk together and work together and even work through sometimes through issues that sometimes are hard to work through. But we learn as we work together for the honor and the glory of God. That's why it's so important that we hold this book to be our authority for faith and practice. It's not my opinions that matter. It's the word of God that matters. Well, we see the, ner- the nature of the command here. Now let's move on to the need within the body. The need within the body. Peter says, yes, all of you be submissive to one another. Lest we think Peter is f- favoring the older, more mature folks, or even the more spiritual folks in the body. He sets the record straight for all of us. No matter who we are, no matter where we are, no matter what we do in the body, let's remind ourselves that we need to submit to one another. What's that word submit mean anyway? It's the Greek word hypotasso. Okay? Now you say, well, that doesn't mean anything to me, Pastor. Well, let me tell you what it means. It means to place under in an orderly fashion. Now, Doug will testify to this. He'll tell you that, well, Pastor's not very orderly. Just look at his garage. You need to look at my garage because my car's in there right now. Yeah, see? Yeah. Just don't look at my desk. Uh, but anyway, uh, and, and somebody once, uh, a couple of people said to me, now we can tell Barb put this together because there's organization to it. And that's not my, that's not me. I'm not a very organized person. You can tell that, okay? Um, but you know what? This word submit means that you willingly, you voluntarily place yourself under someone or something in an orderly manner. That's a need within every body of believers. You can't have everybody being in charge. You can't have everybody running the show. God says you must place yourselves under one another. Now, 
when we, when we get this idea in our minds and we understand it, you know what? God can do amazing things in our midst. It has the idea of making a choice to put yourself under another. And that's to be the overall attitude in the body. Peter wants us to understand that humility should be the hallmark of the church of Jesus Christ. Paul tells the Ephesians that humility breeds a particular thing in the body. You know what it breeds? Well, let me read it for you, and then you can figure it out. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, Peter says, or Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the what? The unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What does humility breed within the body of Christ, the local body of believers? You know what it breeds? It breeds unity. It breeds unity. We want to be a unified body of believers. We want God's Spirit to dictate to us how to do church and how to do life. And so when people come into our church, they sense Unity. Say, Pastor, don't be ridiculous. Nobody can sense that. Can I tell you that we've traveled around to hundreds, I'm not joking, hundreds of churches when we were missionaries trying to raise support? Hundreds of churches. And you can tell when you get into a body of belief, you can tell when there's disunity. There's just a spirit that you can, you can feel it. And I'm not being mystical. You just know. And then... No joke, as the missionary, you get invited to somebody's house. Guess what you get at that? You don't just get food at that. Hey, you know what? What should we do? This is what's going on in our church. Right, please, I don't want to. I'm not here for that. I, you know, and, and I've gotten it from churches that know us well. I've gotten it from perfect strangers. What should we do? You need to deal with this with your pastor. If you need help, we have a great organization called the Northeast Fellowship of Church Empire State back then. You can talk to Craig Golden, who was the director then, or Brian King now. The Ilmo Fellowship of Churches. You need to talk to so-and-so. I'm not here for that. So, you know what? There needs to be a unity in the body of Christ. And when we're, all, when we're humble and we're submitting to one another, that's what, is, that's what the result is. Humility in the body of Christ. Unity is what our goal is as the followers of Christ. And that's a need. There needs to be unity. God can't cause growth in a church if we're not unified. God can't bless outreach endeavors of our church if we're not a unified body of believers. We want to we see God do great things in Preble and Tully and Cortland and Homer and, and the areas in which we reach out into. We want to see God do great things, so we must be a unified body of believers. And I think we're there. Not that we boast about it, not that we pat ourselves on the chest or, or on the back and say, hey, look at us, because then we've lost it. Okay? Humility breeds unity in the body of Christ. So that's a need. We also see that we need to nurture the right attitude. Paul said, or Peter says, and be clothed in humility. Again, we see it's a choice. Every morning as we get ready for the day, we have to make a choice. What am I going to wear today? I look in my closet and I say, hmm, I'm going to put this shirt on. So I pull it out of my closet. I, I, I put it over my t-shirt and I, and I walk out and my wife says, are you going somewhere? Well, I was. 
eh, maybe you shouldn't wear that. Why not? Well, because it doesn't... Yeah, I just saw Vaughn lean over. Barry told us yesterday when he got here, I'm a little... I didn't get here as early as I thought I would because my wife made me change my shirt. Yeah. You see, we make a choice. Barry's choice wasn't Yvonne's choice, and we see who won, because Barry didn't wear the same shirt, okay? My wife often will say, or I've got to the point now where I walk over and say, Does, will this work? Can I, can I wear this shirt with these pants? And she'll say, yeah, that'll work. Or, no, no, we're, let's, let's find something different, okay? So every day we make a choice. Yeah, I, when the Yankees are playing well, I wear my Yankee stuff. If they're embarrassing me, which thankfully this year they're not so far, I won't wear it. I don't have very many cowboy shirts, but I have to make that choice too sometimes when it's football season. Okay? I have to, you know, I, I look at what I'm going to put on, I say, okay, this will work. It, 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 it's a good fit. It's, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll say, hey, hey can, you, uh, can you tell me if this looks like I'm fat, makes me look like I'm fat? And I, sh- I don't answer that question if she asks me that, but, but if, it's okay for her to answer that question if I ask her. And she'll say, yeah, it's a little tight. You should probably, you know, okay, I have to go buy a different size shirt. Uh, hopefully that's not the case. But anyway, does this color match? Does it fit right? You, you see, we want to make sure that we're not an embarrassment when we walk out the door. We need to nurture the idea of humility in the body of Christ. This word, um, humility, is something that we need to choose to put on. We need to nurture it in the body. And we've talked about this word humility before. Um, and, and this humility, it's, it's humility that comes as a result of following the example of Jesus Christ. It's also found by following what is written in the pages of Scripture. We've seen in Philippians chapter 2, we've talked about it many times, that verse that says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And that's verse 5 of Philippians chapter 2. Jump down to verse 8 of Philippians chapter 2, and it says, and being found in human form, Jesus took on flesh. That's quite a humble step in and of itself to take on flesh from being divine, took on flesh. Um, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Wow. Eternal son of God humbled himself to the point of death. There's no greater example of humility than that. MacArthur comments on this passage. He reminds us of a time when Jesus clothed himself in humility. It was in the upper room. The disciples were gathered for the introduction of what we would call the, the, the Last Supper. And as they're gathered in that upper room, you know what they're talking about? Who's the greatest? Who's the best? Who's served Jesus the hardest? Who's the most important in this group of 12? That's what they're, you can almost even say they were arguing about it. Yeah, but I did this. No, but you know, I did. And all of a sudden, Jesus has wrapped himself in a towel. And he's going around from disciple to disciple, and he's washing their dirty feet. Their stinky feet that probably have, well, you can imagine, they didn't have paved streets in those days. And they didn't have automobiles in those days. They got around by donkeys and by camels. And I don't know about you, but they don't really care where they relieve themselves. That's the kind of stuff that's in the streets 
that they had walked on to get to the upper room. That's why in those days, every household had a servant that would wash the feet of somebody who was coming into their house, or the owner of the home would wash the feet of the individuals coming into their house. So these guys are arguing about who's number one, and Jesus takes the basin and the towel, and he gets down on his knees, and he starts washing the feet. And when Jesus did it, he didn't do it halfway. He got in between the toes. He did it all. And he gets to Peter, and Peter says, Ah, you're not doing that to me. In other words, Peter's saying, I blew it. I messed up. I should be washing everybody else's feet, but here's Jesus, and Jesus, you're not going to wash my feet. It ain't going to happen. And Jesus says, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. Oh, give me a bath. Don't just wash my feet, wash all of me. And Jesus said, I don't need to do that. Hopefully you've recently taken a bath. All I need to wash is your feet. You see, Jesus humbled himself. Everyday life, he humbled himself. He washed the feet of the disciples. Even though Peter put up the resistance, he finally gave in. What a demonstration of humility from the Son of God. God washing feet. Wow, that's amazing. Well, we need to nurture that kind of attitude in our midst. Well, let's move on. Here's the reason. Why do we, why do we humble ourselves? Why do we submit? Well, Paul, Peter says, For God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. You know what? It's 11.30. We're going to stop because I don't want to just quickly brush over this stuff. We're going to pick this up next week. But let us remind ourselves of the fact that we need to be people who are humble. And that's what Peter's talking about here in these five verses. It was three verses. I couldn't even get through them all uh, in, 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 in the amount of time that's allotted to us. We're going we're gonna to finish because we want to do justice to the text. Okay, I just got done telling you that the text, the expository preaching, is, it's all about the text. If I go through the next two verses quickly, we're not doing justice to the text. So we're going to stop here and ask God to help us to be the humble kind of people. And next week, we'll find out why we're supposed to be humble. Why is it, Pastor, that Peter calls us to be humble? And then the result of our humility. There's actually three more points to this, to this text, okay? So... Uh, Next week, come back, and we'll think, and we'll talk through the rest of the text, and we'll find out what it is that God expects from you and I as his children when it comes to being humble. So let's pray, and then um, Ben's going to come and lead us in our closing song. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come again before you this morning, and we thank you so much for your love for us. But Peter has reminded us how amazing you are, how awesome you are with the salvation that you have provided for us, our redemption in Christ. Father, the fact that we are your children, that you called us to be your children through no merit of our own, but simply because you loved us, you wanted to extend your grace and your mercy to us, you called us to be your children. Father, we are blessed by that. We ask, Lord, that as we leave this place this morning, that you would encourage us to be individuals who are willing to humble ourselves, even though it may lead to suffering, excuse me, even though it may lead to difficult or further difficult times in our lives. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to be individuals who humble ourselves before you and understand that you have a plan for that humbling of the individual, that you will use that in mighty ways. 
in ways that are perhaps beyond even our wildest imaginations at this point in our lives. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for the blessings that you bestow upon us on a regular basis. And Father, we want to tell you this morning that we love you. And we know that we can only say that because you loved us first. That's part of why we should be humble individuals, because of the love of God that has been poured out in our lives. Father, bless the rest of our day. Bring us back together tonight to worship again, to learn from your word, to be challenged, to become more like our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Ben's going to come and lead us in...